Hey everybody, welcome back to Radio Ryan Presents Three Ringos, uh, a Beatles podcast from WCCS Wheaton College Radio. I'm your host, Radio Ryan Ringo, Radio Ringo, Radio Ryan Ringo, and I'm here joined by my fellow Radio Ringos, Harrison Z and Tyler P. Uh, I hope everybody's feeling especially stretchy this week, because today we're talking about Rubber Soul. The Beatles, I want to say sixth album. Let me check my Who's yes, sixth album. Uh, going by my theory last week, our first album in the Beatles classic period. If we're looking at them like artists, like painters, um, Tyler's doing a very wise pose, uh, which I appreciate. Uh, and I think we're going to have a lot of fun this week. I love Rubber Soul. It sounds like you guys do too. But before we jump into the album, I wanted to check your homework. We uh, were doing some two singles that weren't released on the album, two pretty big Beatles songs that I want to talk about to get us started. Uh, these are both pretty famous. They are Paul McCartney's We Can Work It Out and John Lennon's Day Tripper. Uh, we can start with whichever one you want, but uh, they both come from the Rubber Soul Sessions. They were just released as singles for promotional uh, you know, stuff. So we have um, we have a, a light, nice little intro to the record, uh, and I think they're both great songs. Uh, if we want to start talking about them, uh, but Professor Ryan, um, a, a dog ate Day Tripper, and we can work it out. So we didn't get to listen to it. I'm mm, sorry. A likely excuse. <laughs> I would believe you if it weren't for the fact that the Beatles are associated with walruses, not dogs. So if you had said a walrus ate your homework, I still wouldn't have believed you but it would have been fun just what they do in england that's true it's a big walrus town there notoriously infested right tons of english walruses with top hats drinking tea and uh kneeling to the queen i don't know um <laughs> i don't think I'll, I'll talk about the song but i don't think walruses have knees so i don't think they could kneel anyway we can start with i think I, it I think they would respectfully kneel they would they would they would mentally and emotionally kneel I'm going to oh, be okay. honest. I don't think walruses are fans of the monarchy. Mm, interesting take. I'm going to nip this in the butt before it gets any more ridiculous. I think it's in the bud, not in the butt. I'm going to nip it in the butt. This I don't care so what profane. the expression is. I'm this nipping is it. so in profane. The you, just got, you just got us the E for explicit. <laughs> this is, we use the game rating system. <laughs> this, is, this, this podcast is officially rated T for teens. This is rated M for mom wouldn't all, like this. All three of us are not allowed to be here because we're not teenagers, but <laughs> it is rated T for T. Uh, so let's start as uh, Harrison asked us so nicely to do with We Can Work It Out. This is a, um, a song written by Paul McCartney and John Lennon. Um, Paul McCartney wrote most of the lyrics. John Lennon helped with the music. It's one of the songs that people famously point to of uh, their collaboration because it's one of the most notable examples where on half the song you have Paul, half you have John sort of back and forth. They wrote the parts they sung. And this is kind of a throwback because if you remember last week, I think we mentioned it, um, the Beatles aren't living together anymore. They're all living in their own new fancy houses. Um, you know, like I think at this point, John and Ringo are married. John Lennon's a father. And so they're starting, they're growing apart, not in like a bad way, just in like a physical space, spending less time with each other. So back in 1963, when the group 
made it big, Paul and John lived together and were writing a bunch of songs always together together. Uh, as we move forward in time, they start to be a bit more separate. They'll still write songs together, but they'll be more finished when they bring them to each other. We Can Work It Out is a bit of a throwback to those years because it's a pretty 50-50 collaboration. Uh, but it's generally considered Paul's song because he sings lead on the verses uh, and the chorus, I guess. Uh, what did you guys think straight off? I'll, I'll shut up for a second. We Can Work It Out. I actually... For this song, like I, it's great. I think it has one of the best shifts in a song that I've ever really heard. When it shifts to like the bridge part, I guess probably bridge part. Um, but honestly, I like the covers. I've heard of it better, which is weird. But I think the Stevie Wonder cover, I think, is better. Even the Tom Jones cover, which is re if you have, if you have the YouTube, look it up. It was when he, Tom Jones had a TV show. And they're all dressed up as like cows. It's very weird. But it's just some reason, like, I like the cover versions of the song better, but it's still a really great song. Yeah, I actually was going to bring up a similar point about uh, how Stevie Wonder's version is, is sort of like the ultimate version of it for me. But I think it's still a great song. And I don't think Stevie's version would have been able to be so successful had it not had like such a good groundwork put by Paul and John here. Um, I really like how it just sort of slows down and fits and starts and then it comes back to the original tempo that's a lot more bright and optimistic and the lyrics contribute to that feeling as well. Um, it just puts me in a really good mood and it, it also helps sell the contrast between Paul and John and how their musical styles can come together to make something really interesting that provides you with a range of emotions besides just happy or sad. It's like this, could, this gives you a feeling of optimism, but also there's John here to provide some sort of uh, complexity to that feeling of optimism. So it's a really good song. Yeah. So you, may, you may know this, Ryan. Was there a person in mind when they wrote it? Or is it just sort of like, it's like it's a love song, but it's not, doesn't use the word love, which is pretty unique for them. Well, we'll, we'll get into it uh, as we get into the album. But this whole album and this uh, song comes from the session, so it can kind of be included. Uh, marks a period of maturity for the Beatles where they're love songs, but they're less songs that are like, I love you songs and more songs about the complexity and nuances of being an adult in a relationship. It's kind of assumed that most of Paul's relationship songs around this period are about his girlfriend at the time, Jane Asher. They have like a very famous kind of on again, off again, troubled relationship. So this is one of many songs people attribute to her. And uh, as Tyler was pointing out, it's got some uh, great examples of the classic you know, traditional thinking of Paul's the the optimist and John's the pessimist where, you know, Paul's saying, we can work it out, we can work it out. And John isn't like disagreeing, but his points are like, life is short. There's no time. I We might die. So let's work it out. Um, so there there is that sort of contrast there where they're working together for the same message, but you can clearly see it in different ways. Uh, I think in about two weeks, we'll look at um, on a three weeks, I guess, because we're doing mystery tour, but there's a, famously, they do their songs about their childhood. I won't know, reference the songs, but you probably know what they are. Um, they're both about like their similar childhood experiences, but they're wildly different songs. Um, and you guys made some good points about the cover versions. I don't tend to like um, Stevie's version, but that's just personal. Um, I looked at like, I watched the music video or a music video of them playing it. I didn't realize just like, I know they're really young, but 
but I think I always think of the Beatles as like the ages they were, I don't know, like as late as they were in their life. Like I think of Paul now, I don't think of him back then. Just like how young they were when they were doing this song. It is sort of like amazing to think about, especially because, well, this is two years after Please Please Me, less maybe, a little bit more. Like, it's, it's, uh, it's almost three, I think. Almost three, but still, like that's a big musical jump in a not large amount of time, you know? So it's, yeah. just, it's all very impressive, like how quickly this was happening. I think that shows up a lot in the album, of just how young they are. And not like, not saying like their songs were young, but I think it's just like the experiences they're having shows up. The um, We Can Work It Out was released December 1965, and Please Please Me was March 1963. So two, two and a half, almost three years. So very short turnaround, uh, rapid maturity in the Beatles. Uh, our next song, I, I mean, like everybody likes We Can Work It Out. I feel like we might have glossed over the fact it's a good song. Everybody everybody should listen to it and i think everybody who has listened to it knows we can work it out great beatles song um upbeat very fun the other one is day tripper um i think day tripper is pretty iconic i don't know if it's more well known than we can work it out but the guitar riff is very distinct very uh iconic it kicks off really well this is one of the songs before we get into talking about it, I'll let you know. I think I mentioned it last week or maybe two weeks ago that there's a couple Beatles songs where there one person, usually the primary writer is the primary singer. There's a couple Beatles songs where it's not the case. This is one of those songs where John wrote most of the song, but Paul actually technically sings lead on it. You can hear it in the verses. There's one or two lines where it's just Paul and not John, but there's no just John. Um, this song, uh, more than we can work it out, uh, is an example of what you'll see on the album today of the Beatles actually thinking about their harmonies and not just kind of, let's all just sing whatever he's singing. Like you can kind of hear it more in some of the album tracks, but especially with George Harrison, he's no longer just being treated as like a third voice. He's being treated as like George's voice and like, let's all, we all sound different. So let's all put that in different ways so that our harmonies sound good. Uh, probably pretty much inspired by the Beach Boys, uh, who are very famous for their huge harmonies. Tyler is jamming out. He really likes the Beach Boys. Um, Paul McCartney was a noted Brian Wilson fan slash rival. They had like a friendly competition thing. And uh, so Day Tripper is an example of that, of their using some more complex, fun harmonies, pretty distinctive guitar riff. Uh, this song a bit more obscure lyrically than we can work it out. You might have some opinions about it and we can get into that right now. What did you guys think? I guess I didn't have too many thoughts on it. On it. Besides, there's not like a part of it musically that I would want to change, you know? I just listen to it as like, everything is in its right place. Everything is, everything's proper. And I think it, at this point in their career, obviously they've had some great songs where it's like, I wouldn't want to, like, nothing could be changed in them. Obviously, I don't think I'm a good enough musician to make them better. But you can sort of point out the flaws in them. I think this is one of, the, like, besides the very, very end vocals, which I didn't really like, everything else was, like, seemed perfect. Which I don't know, probably one of their first songs. Not their first great song, obviously, but one of their first songs where everything was in its proper place. 
Yeah, this song to me feels, especially instrumentally, just very musically coherent as if just like it all just fits together really well. I'm glad that you pointed out the guitar riff because for me, that was the defining characteristic of this song. It just really lingered and was very memorable to me. It, it reminded me a bit of uh, Don't Fear the Reaper by Blue Oyster Cult, weirdly, because the first song in this album does contain the cowbell a lot. Um, I think it's obviously, this is an example that will become more prevalent later on for the Beatles, where if you don't know what the song about, there's a good chance it's about drugs. And, uh, you know, I think based on the title, it's pretty clear. But uh, I wouldn't call it one of their best singles, but I would call it one of their best in terms of, like, showing how they've evolved. I think if you contrast this to a single from maybe three albums ago, it's a big step up musically. So uh, I, I thought it was a solid, fun song. It's like the only disappointing thing, though, after, I guess I have to retract what I said, is that there wasn't cowbell in this song. Gotta have like, a little cowbell, baby. How, like, how, how often does Christopher Walken have to be sick until the Beatles get it? That <laughs> they don't put cowbell in every single song, you're, you're endangering a national treasure. Like, he was alive during this. Like, they could have got him. They could have got who? The dude Christopher that does... Walken. Oh. <laughs> they could have saved him. If you inoculate or if you get cowbell early in life, you're off of it by later on, you know? But now he's something years old on the cowbell train for all those years. The Beatles were so close to being great. There's going to be somebody listening to this episode and they have not seen that SNL skit and they're going to have no idea what we're talking about. I'm going to be honest, I don't think there's a person alive who hasn't at least heard it <laughs> that's, referenced. That's why Spotify has the skip 15 seconds button. <laughs> <laughs> Come back in 15 seconds. We're going to do product placement right now. Um, yeah, with that being said, I really like Day Tripper. I think it's a pretty infectious tune, like Tyler was saying, a great uh, guitar part. Um one of my favorite singles, especially around this time. Like Tyler was saying, it's pretty much a drug song. Um, the uh, concept that uh, Lennon and McCartney have both pointed out is the idea of a day tripper is like, you only do acid during the day and you're just like a weekend kind of tripper. Whereas we're like an everyday, like we're really committed to it uh, at this point. Fake acid fan. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're gatekeeping acid. Um, we're really committed to ruining our minds and bodies. You don't get it. At this, at this point in time, uh, the Beatles, I think I've mentioned it before, but the John Lennon and George Harrison have tried LSD. And at this point, Ringo also has. And there's a bit of a rift in the band where McCartney hasn't. And they're all like, he doesn't get it. He hasn't done acid yet. Eventually he does. So I guess they get it. And um, two famous little quotes about this song that I like, or not about this song, but I guess uh, that are relevant to the conversation was in a George Harrison interview about acid. I'm sure I'll bring this up later, probably next week. Uh, he says like acid is so wonderful because it changes your entire world for, and you only have to do it once. And the interviewer said, you only did it once. And he goes, no, I did it a lot, but you only needed to do it once. Um, <laughs> and the other story was that uh, the Beatles in one of their last press conferences uh, of like the uh, the um, period, uh, maybe the year is whatever word I'm looking for. They said uh, about this song and a song we'll hear about later in the album. They said, "What do you say to the rumors that Day Trippers about a prostitute and Norwegian Wood is about a lesbian?" And Paul McCartney said, "We just wanted to write songs about prostitutes and lesbians. That's all." And uh, everybody laughed. So, oh Paul, oh cheeky, what? cheeky Paul. 
Oh, Paul. Shaky Paul. So uh, both singles, I think we all can agree, pretty good, pretty, um, pretty big steps up in terms of each week when we get not album singles, we're usually like, this one's great, and this one's, it's just a B-side. Mm. I think this week, both tunes, pretty great. Sort of a mark of the quality to come, uh, if you ask me. Before we jump into the track Actually, listing, before, Harrison can I say, a question. Yeah. Just one comment before, I apologize. Just on date, I watched the music video for Date Trip. I just did not realize how sparse Ringo's drum set was, at least in the video. It's very, like, there's not a lot... Like, he does, see, I don't think he even has drumsticks. You see, but like I think you see fan, like you see in the 80s, these huge drum sets where it's like 20 cymbals. It always seems like Ringo's working with like a lot less equipment. They, so something people have admired Ringo for is he always had just the classic kit, four drums, like two cymbals, maybe four. Um, but a funny point of that is in their music videos around this, they're not technically music videos, they're like promo videos, but they're like proto music videos for the singles around this time. Ringo never has his drum for some reason. In the help music video, in this one, especially in Paperback Writer, which we'll talk about next week, everyone's got their guitars just playing or Paul's got his bass and then Ringo's always just like sitting. I think in the Day Tripper <laughs> music video, he's like sawing something at some point and help. He's got like an umbrella. He's always he's, just doing nothing. In the Day Tripper when he's actually playing the drums, but in help, he does have the umbrella. Right. Or something that like, I know this isn't about the monkeys, but the monkeys, great band. But in it, the drummer, they like, the drummer could actually play the drums for a little bit that they had to learn after the fact. So in the music videos, he has like a tambourine and he's putting his arm through it. He's blatantly <laughs> not actually playing the instrument. Here's my understanding of the Beatles at this point. Like, you know, in the first Harry Potter movie, how Harry lives under the stairs, sort of. I feel yeah. like they just sort of let Ringo live in there and they just p pass him like a bongo at times. They're just like, play away, buddy, go. And like, okay, you got it. Thanks. Another <laughs> another great Ringo slam for the podcast. <laughs> after him. I say that affectionately. He did great on the bongo. Oh, you're you're a baseman boy. I say that with affection. <laughs> <laughs> we um, we should start talking about Rubber Soul, uh, before we get into the um songs, as we usually do. I want to give a little history of the album and what inspired it and things like that. Um, Rubber Soul is pretty uh, distinctive at this period because it's the first time the Beatles go into the studio and they're not rushed. Every single album to this point has been recorded between tours and between shows. After their big 1965 American tour where they set all these huge records and they sell out Shea Stadium, make a ton of money, they come back to England, they don't have anything booked yet. They say, just go into the studio and make the album don't worry about anything else and this is huge for the Beatles it's a breath of fresh air it really gives them room to experiment they don't have to oh crap we need 14 songs in six days let's just make basic stuff they can take their time and try out new things which they do on Rubber Soul um, it becomes a, a record where they have more creative control they stop just listening to George Martin now they're and like bringing ideas to them, they just start being like, we're gonna do this and we're gonna do it how we wanna do it. And there's a lot of confidence in their songs now. Uh, their songwriting is maturing as we touched on a bit earlier and we can work it out. They're mature, they're growing up, uh, you know, they're still in their young 20s, but uh, their love songs are now about 
you know, pain and whether things will go right. And I think like the first three songs on the album are all about like miscommunication. And there's so many themes of this album. Lyrically, there's not like a cohesive theme, but it is sort of like mature, uh, introspective stuff that the Beatles really haven't gotten into anymore. And part of that, I think, is uh, due to their meeting of Bob Dylan when they were in America on their tour. He was really like, hey, write about like yourself do that um, is that your bob dylan impression no it's my tom petty impression but i didn't want to do my bob dylan because it, it pains me to even do it um but yeah he bob dylan was big because he told john lennon you can write about like things you want to write about and people will like it and then he also gave them marijuana which to them was like whoa and so uh lennon has called this album the pot album some people have called it a drug album uh, George Harrison said Rubber Soul was his favorite album because it was when they finally started doing things, is what he said, which is classic vague George answer where you're like, well, what were you doing on the other five albums that I liked? Famously, the D.A.R.E. program called it the worst album ever made. <laughs> yeah, wait till you see what we have in the coming weeks. But um, <laughs> there, there's a lot of influence that come into this album, soul music, folk music, a lot of styles the Beatles have touched on before, but now they're really getting into. This album is also very influential going forward. It's famously the album that inspires Brian Wilson to come up with Pet Sounds, which is a pretty uh, famous Beach Boys album. A lot of people see it as the turning point in not just the Beatles' career, but in popular music at the time, that it really challenges. It's still a pop record. It's still, you know, gets number one on the the charts it's still a Beatles record everybody still loves it and buys it but it pushes the genre forward where the Beatles are sort of saying hey you can make cool fun songs and be artistic and be introspective and make you think uh not that this album is like gonna twist your brain or anything but it has some more complex uh songwriting on it and uh, musically they're trying different things and uh there's a lot of different genre experimentation as i touched upon earlier uh we get the first i think it's like the first english recording with a sitar on it which is uh norwegian wood which we'll get to the sitar the you know what a sitar is um the colonialism coming in clutch <laughs> and uh finally i guess to sort of play off what harrison was saying a note about the title i told the guys before we started recording but that Rubber Soul is both a reference to somebody's comment about Mick Jagger, who apparently had plastic soul. I'm not sure what that means, but also Ringo said we really liked a lot of African-American soul artists and they had like the real soul and we had something that we just sort of copied and we had less authenticity, but we were trying. So that's, I guess, how they got rubber. Uh, and the other thing is the album has kind of a famous cover. It's all four Beatles just kind of smoldering but um their their name isn't on the album which is big you, you kind of have to put your name on albums in the 60s it's like that's how you know who it's going to be but the beatles are like it's us everyone's going to know it's us and we don't want it to say the beatles we just want to say rubber soul and this funky psychedelic text and we want to look cool and that's what happened it's this is the start of the beatles really taking control of uh not just their music but their careers they start just stop, you know, Brian Epstein and George Martin are still there as mentors and as figures to guide them, but they're not listening to them anymore. They're being listened to. Um, so with that being said, I think we should jump into the music of Rubber Soul. 
Um, it's got a bit of a unique sound. It, again, I don't know if it has a musical theme, but it has a lot of genre mixing. It's sort of, I would say, like a folky album. It's not all folk rock, but it feels very earthy to me. I kind of hate when people say that about things, but it does mm. feel earthy. It feels. This, this did remind me of Lettuce. Yeah, it's it's it feels grounded. It kind of feels like music you'd listen to in the backyard or like at a cabin instead of like this big flashy record. It's it's even the the upbeat fast songs like Drive My Car, which we'll get into in a second, um, feels sort of relaxed almost. Um, and with that being said, let's get into song one on Rubber Soul. It's called Drive My Car. It's by Paul McCartney, who wrote um, most of the music. Uh, John Lennon helped with some lyrics because, as Paul McCartney revealed in an interview, the music came first, as it sometimes does, or I guess often does. Um, and the lyrics were just sort of placeholders like Paul McCartney is known to do. And they were, I can buy you golden rings. I can get you anything. And then John Lennon's like, what's with the rings? We're always writing songs about rings. Let's write about something else. And they tried a lot of things, and they finally settled on cars. And uh, it's sort of, I don't know if Ticket to Ride's about cars, but it kind of has this motor, same kind of feel where it's kind of a euphemism and also kind of like a fun uh, play on words and stuff like that. Uh, upbeat rocker to start off the album. What did you guys think of our first song here, Drive My Car? Uh, I, I really liked it. I was just, li just re-listening to it. Uh... A few minutes ago actually and i really really enjoyed like the melody it was very fun and easygoing i think it's a great intro to the album just in how like fun and it feels um i think it demonstrates that they had a much better understanding of how to write a strong pop song than they did like on please please me um the mix of instruments here is also really cool like the like you mentioned um like they have piano uh cowbell uh guitar and um, I also love how rough and gravelly the vocals sound at certain points. It gives it like a bit of an edge. Um, and it also has a bit of storytelling to, to it as well. Um, I think my favorite part about this song is picturing them in the studio being like, all right, now put in a beep beep. And then they do the beep beep. And I think that's, there's no better way to sell a car song than including a beep beep. So nice job, guys. I think... I definitely, for the lyrics, because you told me to pay attention to the lyrics, so I was like, fine, Ryan, I'll do it. Stop harassing me about it. But for this song, I got later in the album I did. I'll admit that. For this one, I was just like, it's really musically impressive. Like, the guitar part was, and it's a really great guitar part, and it just seems like this was a new type of music they were doing, which I guess, like, that's the vibe of the entire album. But you can just tell, like, it's right off the bat. They didn't, like, if people, it seems like if people weren't gonna like their new stuff, they were like, we're gonna tell you in the first song that we're not, you're not gonna like it. So you can, I don't know, return it or something. But it's just like, they start off hard and it's a, Paul's voice, like Tyler said, is great. And I think we see his evolution from the last few albums of like him, like sort of knowing how to sing to him really knowing how to sing. He's, he's, he was a little Pikachu, but now he's a, I don't know, a Charizard? I don't know how the evolution Raichu. 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 It's Raichu. Then what's the first thing? It's Pichu, Pikachu, Raichu. We're gonna, the next podcast we have is all about Pokemon. You can listen to it here at WCCS. <laughs> um, Harrison Pokemon continue. from your parents' perspective. <laughs> that's, that's all I know. It's, like, it's, a, it's a great song. I did love the cowbell. I wrote cowbell question mark. But 
I think just like musically, I don't know if this is their strongest opening because they've had some great openings, but this is definitely going to rank up there probably from like, not just from what we've already heard, but entirely. Yeah, I love this song. I think a lot of what you were saying there, Harrison, is right on the money. Uh, John Lennon said something like, if you don't like Rubber Soul, you don't like Beatles. And I guess Drive My Car is a great way to kick that off. It is sort of a new sound of both of you guys were sort of commenting on it. It's still a pop song. It's still like a fun rock song, but it is a new style. I think George Harrison goes crazy on this song, especially I like the guitar solo on this song and how I really like when this happens in songs. And I think Drive My Car is a great example of the lyric, the music, the lyrics, the lyrics and the singing comes in at the end of the guitar solo as usual, but they overlap for a little bit. So when Paul McCartney's jumping back into the chorus, you can still kind of hear the um, This podcast is just me making guitar sounds with my mouth, but um, I love and this yelling song. at Harrison about Pokemon. Right. Uh, yeah, I love this song. I think it's a great opener. It's upbeat. I, Tyler, I think, was the one that mentioned it. It's got great storytelling, which is something the Beatles really only start doing on this album. There's a bit of it, and I think like yesterday and a few songs that feel storytelling. But this album is the first where they're like, picture this. And um, you, you get this feeling of a story with the song like this because no girl is coming up to Paul McCartney and being like, be my chauffeur, uh, even if it's a euphemism, but like that's what this album sort of is the first one to feel like, don't think of it as the Beatles on stage singing these songs to you. It's like, just sort of open your mind up and think about it. And uh, I think this is a great opener. This is, this is also, this is a semi joke, but not really is that there was a point with the invention of the electric guitar that humanity collectively realized that people's fingers can do that. They've never before had that happen. If you, it's just a weird thing to think about. But yeah. like, at some point, they were like, oh, I guess our fingers can do that, like move in that way in that configuration. Yeah. It's just a weird thing to think about. Music is crazy, man. This is the pot episode. Um, kidding. WCCS does not support whatever. Um, the second song is a pretty famous John Lennon composition called Norwegian Wood, parentheses, This Bird Has Flown. Um, it's invited a lot of interpretations about the lyrics. John Lennon said, it was about cheating on my wife, uh, which is a great, uh, a great premise. Thanks for clearing that up, John. <laughs> sure, sure is honest. Um, the big thing to note about this song, other than the lyrics and the nice vocals and everything that we like about it, is George Harrison's sitar. Uh, this album starts the period that ends the next three albums. Not only are sort of seen as the Beatles' psychedelic album, but this is the start of George Harrison as a person getting really into Indian culture, Indian religion, and of course, Indian music. At this point, he's met Ravi Shankar, who is this like legendary sitar player and is, ends up being one of George Harrison's best friends for life. But he teaches him the sitar and George Harrison comes into the studio with this, to them, funky instrument. He's like, I'm just going to put this on a song. And John Lennon was like, sure, I don't know. And uh, it's pretty great. It's got, you know, if you don't, if aren't familiar with the sitar, it's, it's great on Paint It Black by the Rolling Stones. That's like a good introduction to it. But you can hear it on this song too. It's like a guitar, but it's got much more of, uh, it, it even has like a, you know, quote, air quotes, Eastern feel. I hate using words like that, but like um, it does sound different and it almost has this sort of allure of you're hearing a music, musical instrument that's different 
and it's got a different sound that sort of feels like it's taking you out of what you're normally used to, not only because it's a new instrument, but just the sound of the sitar is kind of mystical almost. Like it sort of feels like, oh, what am I going to listen to? And uh, Norwegian Wood sort of with the lyrics and the overall sound of it kind of adds to that vibe, I think. Um, with that being said, what did you guys think of Norwegian I Wood? I used to bring up the fact that, well, I'll ask you, Ryan, as the go-to Beatles expert, or you can just lie to us, but with the sitar, is George, like, are the Beatles or is George Harrison ever criticized, I guess, for playing, like, for using a sitar or for using, like, these different types of influences? Like, did they, in their own time, did they give credit to, like, who their influences were? George, George definitely did. He was always, like, I learned this from Ravi and the Beatles famously will go to India when we talk about it in a few weeks. George was always very... I don't think anybody, I think nowadays there might be like a, a conversation about cultural appropriation and things like that. But I think at the time, and I think even now looking back, people realize George was very appreciative of it. It wasn't like he was like, oh, I'm going to introduce the Siddhartha people and like pretend I invented it. He was very mm -hmm. much like this is, he was always in interviews like you guys should listen to Indian music. It's really cool. I'm just bringing in the music I like onto my songs. Mm -hmm. It's just because, like, it's just an interesting thing to think about. Of like, I think when you talk of like Elvis, who is a like a, not a contemporary, but probably like only a few years older, and there's like a big conversation around the music he had and black artists. And now it's. Really I like, think the Beatles were very upfront. I think I mentioned earlier with the soul thing. They were very upfront in a lot of their interviews. They said, "Oh, the music we like is like African American music. Like that's what we listen to, and that's what we like." Mm -hmm. And so they incorporate a lot of the styles, but I don't have any like evidence of people ever being like this is not good for them it was more seen as a positive of like the beatles are introducing as the biggest band in the world it was important for mm. a lot of people that they introduced different world styles of music yeah I know, I know it was a tangent but i think it very easily could have been if not done right like british person takes another thing from india but if he's like george harrison is actually being like no like listen to this and this is good and like it's like it's a different conversation but to get to the song it's funny you can really hear the headphone difference of which sounds coming out of which headphone which i always like doing um i th i wrote a connection i forget the lyrics specifically but it connected to the carol king and david geffen song again of some lyric of like will you love me in the morning because it sort of seemed like it was a love like i don't know if it's a love song but it's about relationships and I think there was some line of like, will you be there tomorrow or something along those lines. And I know we've connected to that song before, but it was just like a minor thing. So I know they really loved Carole King and David Geffen. Like that was a really popular song. But again, musically, a great song and a great number two song on an album where by Please Please Me, we were probably getting to like, is this a good song? Should they have played this? For this, it's like, this is a classic. So having two really great songs to start shows that they have really matured in a fairly short amount of time. Yeah, this is one of the few from this album that I had really uh, listened to before I did a full listen to the album. And uh, this one's a beauty. I, I think it, it's an excellent, excellent example of the storytelling that I mentioned a little bit in Drive My Car, but this one fully embraces that. I love that it tells a full narrative, that, but it still feels abstract enough where you can sort of think more about it and wonder what specific things he meant by describing things. Um, it just feels very lived in, which I think is a positive of this album as a whole. Like it really puts you in a specific time and place 
Um, and I think the instruments, particularly the sitar, just feels very warm and it has a lot of texture to it. Um, so yeah, for me, this, this is a very memorable song. I just really love how they use storytelling in it. Yeah, um, great storytelling. A lot of people have had various interpretations of the end of the song. The lyrics kind of imply that he burns her house down because she wouldn't sleep with him or whatever, and he sleeps in a bathtub. Uh, it's sort of a fun little story song. I don't think it's – most people don't see it as, like, malicious. A lot of people see it as, like, English black comedy of, like, uh, you won't sleep with me, I'll burn your house down. I guess they think that's funny across the pond. The British version of The Office 40 years earlier. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a lot of good things to say about Norwegian Wood. Everybody really likes it. Our third song is a third song about miscommunication. As I mentioned earlier, Drive My Car is like a, hey, I'm not going to be your chauffeur. I'm, I'm Paul McCartney. The second song is like, hey, this isn't what you think it is. Go sleep in my bathtub. And the third song is like, well, we'll get into it. It's called You Won't See Me. Uh, it's Paul McCartney's track, another song probably about Jane Asher. Uh, it, when I call you up, your lines engaged, I think, are the first two albums. So all first two lyrics, sorry. So already you're getting this feeling of miscommunication. Um, nice little backing harmony in this with the ooh-la-la-las. Um, and uh, I won't uh, bore you too much with my stuff. What did you guys think of You Won't See Me? I'm disappointed no one ever called Jane Asher Jasher. Um, but besides that, I think this song probably has one of Ringo's best drum parts up until this point. Like, I don't know, just like it's very good. It's something I really picked up on. I felt like I really wanted to dislike this song, but I couldn't. It seemed like, I wrote this down. It seems like, oh, this is a less good version of yesterday. This seems like a, like, yesterday ask probably thematically not musically because yesterday doesn't have any drum parts but it just seemed like oh this is like it it was too it was too good of a song than it deserved to be probably in my mind it was like oh it's really good but i don't want to like it but i do yeah uh, i liked it a lot i'm not sure that i totally agree with the yesterday comparison i understand it but for me i think this song had much more of sort of like a sardonic kind of bitter edge to it that, that definitely differentiated itself from yesterday to me. I really like the melody here of uh, the chorus. Um, I really just, I also like just the pattern of this album up to this point that continues of, of the songs feeling uh, continually personal. Like they're really either telling a story or honing in on a specific feeling that they're all feeling versus just a general sense of something. Um, and as I mentioned, sort of like the the more bitter tone of it I think the way it contrasts with the background vocals that are like ooh la la I think gives it a nice little contrast that accentuates it um yeah and I think especially the music so far has been has been excellent yeah I think what Tyler was saying was right on about um the bitterness of the song I think comes to a shock to a lot of contemporary listeners Paul is like the cute beetle and everybody thinks of him as being like the I love you I love you um beetle but there's a couple songs in this album he's saying stuff on you won't see me like act your age and these are the first beetle songs that and this is one of the first songs it's individually where the beetles are like negatively like accusing somebody he's it's, it's almost sounds like not even like a breakup song but like almost like a, a diss track where he's like act your age you're not gonna see me anymore 
and um you are hiding a child <laughs> yeah not not that level of uh of dissing but there is some fun uh fun bitterness on this uh track at paul playing the role of jealous boyfriend that we will see john take up later on the uh, album but um some some really interesting uh, lyrical uh, deviation in mood i think for paul i was just to bring back to to what Tyler said, or I said about the yesterday point, I think it's the similar theme of like, why'd she have to go, which is in yesterday, which is all a very sad song, but this in the last, I just looked up the lyrics to make sure I was talking about the right song. And it's always like, uh, like it's been so, I've been sad since you've gone and why'd you do it and blah, blah, blah. Like that. So it's not like, it's like what a very bad, or not a very bad, what a less good version of yesterday could have been if it was taken in a completely different direction. But I think it's like, in a vague sense, similar thematically. Yeah, I get that. It's it's almost like taking similar subject matter, but approaching it from two different emotional angles, like one of more melancholy and longing and then one of more like, okay, fine, be that way. Hmm. Which would have made, if Paul wrote that, just fine, be that way. Oh, yesterday would have been a much worse song. Be that way. <laughs> uh, the fourth song on the album is a Lennon song. Something I like about this album that we luckily see as a trend is the track list is much more balanced. In our first five albums, it was definitely Lennon heavy, but we're starting to see a lot of balance. George Harrison has two songs on this as well, as we'll get to soon. But Nowhere Man is our um, fourth song in the album. A lot of people have pointed to this as one of, if not the first song the Beatles write in third person completely disconnected from you know there's she loves you which is very famously in the third person of like she loves you and there but it's always like i saw her yesterday and all that stuff this is like a full story there's no doubt about it it's not about the person singing um some really interesting lyrics um a bit of a folkier style one of my favorites on the album what did you guys think of nowhere man uh, yeah, I liked it a lot. I liked that um, it was sort of following a similar trend for me from Beatles for Sale and Help of especially within the first half, like the first third of the albums, there's like a specific, like, like especially introspective John song I've realized because on Beatles for Sale, there's I'm a Loser and then on Help, I think there was uh, You've Got to Hide Your Love Away. And this was sort of in a similar vein. I liked how, as you mentioned, it's in a third person perspective. So even though it's very clearly John writing about himself, because he said he was like feeling par paranoid and he sort of needed to find a way to express it. It's sort of following the ideal of sort of like gaining perspective on the situation you're in by looking at it from an outside view. So it gives it a sense of specificity and, and a universality through that because you're much more likely to, to, to learn something about yourself if it's put in another perspective versus someone telling you how you are, um, if that makes sense. So I, I liked it a lot personally. Yeah, I, when I listened to it, I was like, oh, this is a song about like apathy and aimlessness. And I never really probably heard a song so like explicitly about that before or not that it just hadn't pick, picked up on it. But what I, I read into it is that maybe the band was feeling sort of aimless at this point. Like they had been, they pretty much gotten as, they're 20 somethings who got as famous as they're ever gonna be. Like there was no getting more famous than they actually were at that point. So I wonder if it was like feeling that like, oh, 25, what do I do after this? 
you know, just sort of like, well, how do I go on after this? Like, what do I do? And that's where I sort of was picking up on it just, yeah, it seems like when you get, when you get like everything you want at 25, what do you do for the rest of your life? And that's what sort of seemed was like, yeah, we're really famous. So like, how do we get more? What do we do next? That's what I was picking up on it. I think that's an interesting look at it. Uh, I think a lot of what you guys have been saying is good. I, I, like I said before, I really like this song. I see it as kind of a successor to help um, of like, this is somebody who was, I look at it very much of John writing about himself of in help. He was very desperate. Like I'm super famous and sad and I don't know what to do. Help me. And now he's sort of mellowed out and is thinking about it where he's like, I really don't have any direction right now. There's always a line that's uh, it's like, doesn't have a point of view, knows not where he's going to. Isn't he a bit like you and me? And it's, uh, it's very powerful for me. Not only does it connect to what Harrison was saying about being 25 and having no direction because it feels like you've been everywhere. It also connects to the listener like me, a 20 year old who's like, I don't have any points of view. Like I I'm, don't know what I'm doing and uh, a lot of feelings of that. And I think it, but the way John sings it, you know, and help it's almost frantic the way he's singing in nowhere, man, the fact that it's third person and the fact that he sings in sort of a calming voice, it almost sounds like he has reached a point where he's he knows the answers but he's sort of looking back on remember when i was you know crying for help last album remember when i was the nowhere man um i really think it's a beautiful song and i think there's a lot to to look at with the lyrics especially it's also interesting how a song about like aimlessness is put in an album that doesn't feel aimless that feels probably the most coherent out of all of the albums they've done at this point so I guess it's just interesting how personal feelings showed up in songs, but not in the structure. Like, Yeah, you know? I, I definitely agree with that. And I think it's almost sort of makes sense in, the, in that you can only really write a good song about being aimless once you're sort of looking back at it. Because when you're actually aimless, you wouldn't be able to make that good of a song if you didn't know what you're doing. But like I said before, the vocal style, I interpret it as john has at least somewhat come to peace with it and is looking back and writing about it in the third person and sort of reflecting a bit non uh a, a bit objectively i guess yeah it's cool seeing the contrast between a song uh where he is sort of like writing presently within the situation of, of feeling that helplessness versus being able to look back upon it and writing on it almost from a future perspective and putting it outside of a first person perspective because you're able to look on it more objectively, as you said. So it comes with a stronger sense of songwriting that way. Also, it seems that it seems that the band at this point are older than they actually are, but not but less mature than they should be, if that makes sense. Like they've experienced so much at such an early age that people spend years or like decades trying to reach. But also I think that's probably, and I think you see it in the album, like sort of stunted a lot of like the adult things that they should have developed. Like they're all, sometimes it always seems like when you hear like uh, stories of them on tour, it's like kids in candy stores are just doing whatever they want, with like no supervision, but they're able to like, that I think the fact that they're very confused, at least I would assume they are, shows up in their songs a lot. Mm -hmm. Like in some aspects of their life, they were not doing the right things all the time. Like basically all of their relationships, they were awful in them and not mature. Mm -hmm. But then they were also experiencing things that people 
who are much older than them couldn't handle, like the fame they were having. Yeah, I think I, and I'll wrap it up so that we can move on to, uh, to our other songs. But I think that is a great point. Nowhere Man is sort of a mark of being sort of at a, at a aimless place in your life. And as Harrison was pointing out, it's a place a lot of us find ourselves at like 16 or 17 or like maybe around our age, like just getting out of college. It's obviously different for the Beatles who have spent the last three years like on tour being the most famous people in the world uh, at, I think George, let me look up their ages, but in 1965, George Harrison was like 22. Ringo was probably 25. So a little bit older, but still, I think it's reasonable for them to be like this. Um, but yeah, I think Nowhere Man is a great song about all that. And uh, you should listen to it. It's a good song. And we've uh, we really dig deep into it, which I love. Uh, the fifth song in the album is Think for Yourself by George Harrison. It's one of his two main contributions to the album. It's got an interesting lyrical uh, perspective. I always think and really appreciate that George's songs always feel really distinctive. You know, obviously it's him singing and I think he sounds different. So you can tell it's a George song, but lyrically, I think he has a much different style than Paul or John and think for yourself. Uh, you know, it's, it's pretty groovy. I like it. Uh, we'll get into it. Um, but I also think there's a lot, um, that's new here, a lot that's different for the Beatles. I think George often brings that sort of outside, not outside because he's in the group, but difference from the Lennon-McCartney songs that at the time might have been like startling or even like listeners like, what is, this isn't, this is weird. Uh, and I wondered if you guys felt that on uh, Think for Yourself. What did you guys think of this one? I definitely think that the vibe it was a different song, probably one of, probably even George's best at this point. He hasn't had that many great songs so far, and it's nice to see him starting to come into his own. What do you mean, come into his own? You would have said he was like 22 at this point. But the lyrics are really like, I picked, I picked up on them when I was first listening, I just pulled them up. And it's definitely like, I mean, I think this entire album is about fame and like how it's affected them. And it makes sense because this is, you also said this is the only time they've had to sit down and think about what they've done for the past three years. But I was probably like, oh, this is about how fame affects their personal relationships and who it pulls close to you and who it pushes away and how it changes things. And I, I thought the song was about how basically they have a public perception and they have to keep that to stay famous and to stay popular and stay how they are. But that affects all of their personal relationships. So that like it changes everything because so much power, so much power over their lives is in other people's hands at this point of how they're seen by other people. So that's what I thought this song was about. I may be reading too much into it, but it was nice seeing George do a good song. Yeah, something I like about the song that I think makes it one of his uh, most interesting from a songwriting perspective is that it really sort of gives you a look into what makes him tick, or at least just gives him an idea of what he's kind of striving for as a member of the Beatles and how he can sort of distinguish himself. I like the fact that um, ultimately you can interpret a bunch of different things from the lyrics, but for me, I felt like it was more, I think the fame point is, is very valid about 
how ultimately like within an industry that's trying to get you to be something specific that you can carve out your own identity, which is why I think that it's a song that fits well in this album, because this was an album that kind of furthered their understanding of their own identity and what they can be. Like they don't have to just be the group from Please Please Me that, that is half covers and half songs that could be somebody else's song. Um, but I also like the fact that it's sort of, you could theoretically interpret it to be sort of a, a social or political statement, not of anything specific, but more of just sort of like, you know, like in this world where you're sort of expected to be something, um, especially from the past few songs where it's like, you know, you don't know what you're going to be when you're 20, 20, 25, you can be whatever you want to be. So yeah, I think it's, it's a nice song and it's a, it's a cool song to show his individualist perspective. Uh, you guys made some awesome points that I want to get to really quick. I want to talk about the music because uh, I like that we're focusing on the lyrics, but just to really quick, I, I think this has a fun like rock beat. It's like almost a, it's not up tempo, but it's not down tempo. I like that in the verses, it's sort of um, just chugging along. And then I really like how George's voice sounds in the chorus um, and how it goes with the sign of, he's sort of, almost like dragging his words out a little bit while the music picks up, I think is in a contrast. Lyrically, I, I really appreciate that you guys had different interpretations. I think that's what's great about the Beatles of this period is you can have different interpretations. You know, two people usually can't have different opinions on what, you know, I want to hold your hand is about because it's called I want to hold your hand. Uh, but Think For Yourself definitely has elements of what I think Tyler's talking about with political thinking. I think that's what George said he was primarily thinking about was think for yourself. I'm not going to be there for you to watch over what you're doing. Really think about what you're doing. Um, Harrison's point about fame. I, I really like your interpretation that the album is about fame. That's like not my personal, what I think the album is about, but I think it's a very well-developed look at it. And you can kind of see interpretations of that in a lot of these songs. And I don't doubt that was going through their minds a lot. You can also read this. And this is sort of like the surface level as just a straight up relationship song where he's like, I've got a word to do about the things you've been doing. You've been telling lies. Think for yourself. I'm leaving. Like do what you, you have to be on your own now. I'm leaving. And I think the fact that it works kind of on all three of those layers is really interesting. And I think it's incredible that this is George's fifth song maybe. And it's already, I think, this song I would not call any weaker than any of the Lennon McCartney songs in this album. So while George had a bit of a slower start, I think he rapidly picked it up. And at this point, I would put him pretty close to Lennon McCartney in, on their average day. Obviously, Lennon McCartney have reached higher peaks at this point with Yesterday, Help. Lennon has a, a great song later that I think it even pushes him. And it will take George a while to have like a, a song like that. But I think his if you're looking at like floor and ceiling things while Lennon and McCartney's ceiling is way higher, George's floor shot up and he's now, he's no longer just sort of given one slot and he's just writing like a wet regular song. He's, he's contributing as much as the rest. Uh, track six is uh, Lennon's the word. Uh, a lot of people have thought this song is pretty psychedelic in its lyrics, even though it's not at all psychedelic in uh, its music in the sense that, you know, the word is love. I think right now we don't think of it as like a very strange statement, but in 1965, it's almost a weird just phrase, like the word is love. You're like, oh, what does that mean? And 
this song, I think lyrically, just for me, um, is one installment in a long series of Lennon songs where it feels like he's a leader or a preacher to me where he's like, I know what's right, let me tell you. Not in like a negative way. I'm not trying to, I didn't mean to sound like a, a haterade, but um, he's like, have you heard the word is love? I know the word's love. You should hear about it. Um, and I wanted to know what you guys think. What did you guys think about the word? I think lyrically, I probably didn't pay as much attention to it as I did the ones previously, but I was just musically. I think there's a maraca or a shaker, which I'm like a fan. Uh, I said it sounds like the 1960s. Like it was like, oh, what's the sound? Like, I don't know. Like if somehow the, the time period of those 10 years shot out into space, this is what this, the music would sound a little bit like this. Um, but the drumming's great. Um, interesting harmonies. Like it wasn't my favorite. I really like the guitar part though. I think I was just sort of like, it's not a bad song and probably better than a lot of their earlier songs on their first few albums. But I was just like, eh, I wasn't a huge fan of it. Yeah, uh, I liked it. I, I really was interested by how it sort of approached the topic of love because it was less sort of here's what love means to me as John Lennon or Paul McCartney and more like, we'll go into this role and we'll tell you how love can fit into the world that we're creating within the song, which I thought was cool. Um, I thought it had a cool perspective too. I think the the sort of the angle of the, the evangelists talking about love is interesting. I think John's relation to faith, especially is uh, something compelling considering that he kind of comes back to that later in the album from a, from a much different angle. Um, the music here I thought was really cool. I like how Harrison described how it sounds very sixties. It sounded both like a bit rebellious and sort of playful to me too, because it had the guitar and near the end, there was a cool use of like the, I think it was like an organ, I believe uh, they, they really went off with that. Um, the background vocals continue to be used really well throughout this album so far, too. So I liked it. Oh, oh Ryan, you may know this, but was this, the song had a fade out. Have the Beatles not used a fade out before? Like, it seems very like, I don't know, just sort of seem like the songs like end and this, it got like quiet and ended. And that seems very new to this album. And I'm not sure if that's actually true or just. It's not. It's not the first song to do a fade out, but I wouldn't be surprised if the Beatles got more used to fade outs because as we will learn in the coming weeks, they are no longer focused on how songs will sound live. And when you're writing a song that a lot of songs, especially on the first two albums, you are writing them to play them live. Like that is the primary reason they're being written. And so songs like that have to end. You can't really do a fade out on stage. Um, so I wouldn't be surprised if they started embracing fade outs more in the fact that they're looking at the studio more in this album and going forward, but it's, I don't think it's any like landmark for them. Mm -hmm. um, I think uh, I agree with Harrison in the sense that this isn't my favorite song on rubber soul, but it speaks to the overall quality of the album that a song that I am not crazy about is still a good song. Whereas there were songs on the older albums that I was like, I don't want to listen to this. I think this is a good song and I like it. It's just compared to the rest of the album, not my favorite. I um, think this podcast has shown us that Obla Di Obla Da is definitely not the Beatles' worst song. <laughs> yeah, I don't, uh, I, I have very mixed feelings about Obla Di, which we will get into once we get to the White Album episode. Uh, to close out side one, uh, we have Michelle, 
which is a uh, ballad about a French girl, I guess. Um, this song has a little bit of a special place for me because it's one of uh, my girlfriend Ava's favorites. Um, I was surprised to learn just doing research for this episode that um, when the Beatles decided to go into the studio and they were like, okay, what are we going to sound like? We're not touring. Like, let's actually like move forward as a band. They eventually settled on the sound that you hear, but Paul McCartney said, what if we did joke songs? Like, what if like two or three songs an album we just did were like funny and the Beatles were like, you know, but uh, he said that Michelle was kind of a joke song of like, He's like, I just spoke French on it. Like, he's like, I wasn't trying to be like cool or like, I know French. He was like, wouldn't it be funny if half the song was in French? Um, I think this is a bit of McCartney, as I think we'll talk about more in the next two weeks, is never like shy of experimentation, but with John Lennon and George Harrison, Lennon especially, when they're like, we want to try something, they go full. Paul seems to have really strong roots that he sticks to. So Michelle is, to me, kind of a funny placement on an album that sounds a lot different. Michelle in itself musically sounds very different, but as just a ballad where there's, there's a part where he just goes, I love you, I love you, I love you. You're like, oh, okay, that's, that's what we're doing. And I don't think it's bad, but uh, I think it's evidence, and we'll talk about this again next week. There's a song I'm thinking about of Paul maybe being the one in the group that's like, this experimentation is fun. I kind of just want to write a regular ballad. And I wanted to know what you guys thought about Michelle. I think this song feels out of place on the album, that it's not said isn't good. Like, I think it is a really good song, but like it just sort of like, it doesn't really flow with all of the rest, which I mean, this isn't a concept album. So like that's not a super valid critique. Um, but I think what this highlights, one, I know I made it, I know I compared another song to yesterday. This is similar musically, not stylistically, but because yesterday is probably the, one of the only songs that focuses on Paul's voice and the music is a background to it. Like the music to yesterday is important, but it's mostly Paul's voice. This is also mostly Paul's voice. And I think Paul has the biggest vocal range of just not even like note wise, just making his voice sound different. Cause this does not sound really like the same person on help or who sang um, drive my car. Like it sounds completely different. And that's why I think I love Paul's voice so much is that he can do a bunch of different styles and always sound good. Uh, I had never heard this song before and I completely loved it. I thought this was so beautiful. I like the, the, I mean, the background vocals, I think this is the most impressive background vocals I'd heard on a Beatles song um, in their discography up to this point. Just, it just sounded very haunting. It was just almost like Paul was doing his thing and the three Beatles were behind him, like these little ghosts sort of like leading him along this little romantic journey, which I thought was really neat. Uh, the guitar strumming throughout was just sounded super pleasant and just it really added to the feeling of like infatuation he was really aiming for here. Like if he was aiming to make like an old Parisian love song, I think he completely slam dunked it. I, I just thought this this gave so much imagery for me of like Paris in, in summer and it's it's dusk or whatever. And he's just like walking along the street, strumming something. Um, it's I just thought it was so picturesque and lovely. I, I love this. You know, those Parisians dunking on each other. 
the the first basketball league. Um, uh, I'm actually surprised that you like it so much, Tyler. A happy surprise. I'm glad you like it. I do really like this song. I think it is very charming. To me, when I first heard it, I was like, wow, this is so beautiful. And now when I listen to it, it's a bit more of like a novelty almost where I'm like, oh, hey. But I, it hasn't become less enjoyable for me. It's like this should have been the single. Yeah, I could see this as a single. It is a, a different from the rest of the album, but I think um, it, it isn't uh, different in quality. Uh, I do like it. I think you could with Day Tripper and make a bit more sense thematically, I guess. Yeah, I think We Can Work It Out, Michelle would be a fun combo for a single, and Day Tripper definitely fits well on the album. Doing a little record flip, um, we're on to the second side of the album, the back half. And we have our Ringo song of the album, our star spot. This is a um, song credited unusually to Lennon McCartney Starkey. Uh, this is Ringo's first songwriting credit. He helped write What Goes On, even though I believe it was primarily John. Uh, it is in the country style that Ringo loves, as we know. Um, it is, to me, sort of a... I wouldn't say out of place, but it's definitely the Ringo song of the album where you're like, this is sort of weird for what everybody else was going for, but it makes sense for Ringo. It's one of my, it might be my least favorite song in the album just because I'm not a country person, but I think Ringo does his damnedest and I think he does a good job on what goes on. What did y'all think? Yeah. So, um, this song's funny to me because I like the point that we're at the point at this, like right now, where immediately when the song started, I didn't know who sang the song. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a Ringo song. I just knew it was going to be a Ringo song. And I'm glad that I was right. Um, this, I think, as I, I agree with Ryan, that I think the sort of the country Western feel of the Ringo songs aren't quite my cup of tea as much as the other work of the group. But I liked this one more than I think the other Ringo efforts, which I also liked fine. Because um, I think there's a little bit more of that storytelling touch from the rest of the album that bleeds, that bleeds into this one. Um, I think the guitar playing was, was pretty excellent. Um, the little ooze in the background. I think the background vocals just continue to elevate songs throughout this whole album. And it's nice to hear a Ringo song that has a real perspective on a situation that's not as much like... I'm a cowboy, Rudy Tootie, point and shooty. They don't have cowboys in England, but I can be one. Um, it's it's nice. It's not gonna ever be one of my favorites, but I, but it's nice. I I like that this was a little more fleshed out than the other Ringo songs. I unsurprisingly really liked the song. I think lyrically, I thought there was lyrics about the tide, like tides of time, and I was like, that's a really good lyric. And I was not expecting it in a Ringo song. I thought like. So I'll try to find the exact lyrics, but maybe Ryan can do that. Also, the guitar part was way too good for this song. Like, like musically, this was just too good for a Ringo country song. Like, I don't, that's not a bash against Ringo or country songs at the time. It's just like, this is probably on a country song, the best guitar I've ever heard. And I just felt it was like, I really liked the song and I thought, I was thinking about this, why do they like country songs so much? Why do the Beatles? And I think country songs, unlike some pop songs at the time, were all about, country songs are always about storytelling. Maybe the stories aren't always good. It's like trucks and cars and beers and guns. 
are not always the most compelling stories, but it is always about telling three minutes a little story. And I think you see that in uh, these songs. I, uh, I think it's a good point about country music. It definitely makes sense as to why they would like it. Um, uh, the lyric you were referring to, by the way, is I met you in the morning waiting for the tides of time, but now the tide is turning. I can see that I was blind. Um, pretty good lyric. I, for a Ringo country song? And right after, I don't know if anybody caught this, um, he says, tell me why. And I don't know if it's on this version or one of the studio versions, but you can hear John in the background go, I already told you why, because the Beals have a song called Tell Me Why uh, that we've listened to before. Tell me why. <laughs> that That is not the one. But um, yeah, it's it's definitely a Ringo song. I think it's one of his better ones. I don't, uh, I don't love it, but I don't hate it. Uh, the next one is Girl, which is a song I've always really liked. It was the last song created for the album. It's very complex. It's melancholic. It's got some interesting um, music. It's it sort of, I think, is the reason why Michelle isn't so weird in the album, is that Girl and Michelle are kind of similar. Um, Paul McCartney wrote like a, or said a, something kind of touching of whenever he goes to Abbey Road Studios, he always remembers John recording the vocals for Abbey Road because if you've heard the song, you know, John is very close to the microphone in this song and it's very intimate sounding. It's one of John's most intimate songs. This al album in particular, I think is really fun for me uh, as a, uh, as a growing John Lennon fan of showing a different side of him. You usually see John as the rocker, as the darker one, the moodier one. But I think on Rubber Soul, you get a lot of introspection and a lot of softer uh, tenderness from John. And I think Girl is one of those. Uh, John said he wrote the song about the type of girl he had been searching for and he would eventually find in Yoko Ono, which is, I think, the first time we've mentioned Yoko on this podcast, um, but it w will not be the last. Um, and I, without further ado, what did you guys think of the uh, the song Girl? Yeah, uh, I, I definitely liked it. I, I think, as you mentioned, I think the, the track listing of it, the sequencing of it within the album is clearly very thought thoughtful um, because of the fact that it goes girl, and then it goes... Uh, what goes on the little Ringo ditty and then uh, Michelle and then what goes on and then girl. So it's cool how they're almost sort of in conversation with each other, these two songs and how they sort of demonstrate John and Paul's different roles in the group and how they each approach, approach a similar subject matter. Um, I, I like the fact that uh, in the songwriting, he sort of uh, part of it is almost a critique of Christianity, which is interesting, or at least the notion of like, guilt due to belief systems like religion which is really interesting because i wouldn't expect that to be part of a song about a girl that he's looking for um but it, it ended up being a more natural inclusion of it than i realized because it sort of tied the themes of it together um so i liked it especially as a demonstration of like members of the group being able to juggle different topics at once and not just like make it this part's about this and that's parts about that but being able to weave them together in the end in a way that feels coherent. So it feels coherent on its own and it feels coherent in the context of the album because it's, especially because it's, uh, it's in direct contrast to Michelle, which I thought was neat. I think, actually going back to the one thing, I think it's interesting that this, 
what goes on is credited to Starkey, which means Ringo did not change his legal name at this point or ever. I don't know if he ever has. But to this song, I was impressed that there were so many words in one breath. Like, just like music, that's sort of like it's very difficult and it didn't sound like he was gasping for breath at the end. Um, I think I wrote down the lyrics, I could be transcribed it wrong, but a man must break his back to earn his day of pleasure. And I think that, again, I think this entire album is about fame and I think this song is as well. And I think it's like lyrics like that. It's also, I think about probably a not great relationship, but I think all of these songs have at least a little bit to do of, a, a little bit to do about what fame has affected them in every aspect of their life. The only part I didn't really like was the musical break. And I think, no, I did like the part where they just made like noises in the harmonies. Like it wasn't actually a word. They're just like da 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 or something like that. I was like, so other than that, just the musical break is the one thing I didn't really like. Yeah, a, a couple of things to what you guys have said. The musical break, just in my mind, the did, 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 was, was another Beach Boys influence um, that they're like, we've heard Beach Boys do that. We should do that. I think this song has a lot of interesting things going on musically and lyrically. I think Tyler's point about sort of critiquing systems. There's that famous line where it's when she was young, she was told pain would lead to pleasure and then break his back to work his day of leisure. There's a lot going on there that I don't fully understand, but I think is really interesting. My favorite part of the song is the very distinct um, when he'll say girl, and then I won't do it to the microphone because it won't sound good here, but he takes that very intimate, inhale and like the and you're like oh okay you're sort of it feels like you're right next to him while he's singing and i really really like that musically um i think it's a fun song i think it's a good song um i really like it i really do uh the third song on side two is I'm Looking Through You, another Paul McCartney song. I see this kind of as the sequel companion to You Won't See Me. They're both songs that are like about a relationship issue having to do with sight. You Won't See Me, I'm Looking Through You. Very sort of, uh, it's, it's a straightforward premise, a bit vague lyrics of I'm looking through you. It's you're there, but I'm not connecting with you. I'm just looking past you. There's also that idea of you're being fake. I'm looking straight through your lies. A lot to unpack there. What did you guys think of I'm looking through you? Uh, I definitely liked it. I, I One thing, the thing that I liked about it most was how progressive it felt musically. I liked the fact that it felt really dynamic. It would go from I'm looking through you and then all of a sudden it would go to a much faster tempo with different instruments in it, like the way that it juggled the claps and the tambourine and the sudden little guitar riffs as it went into the faster parts and then it went back to the normal parts. I thought it was really cool. I could have easily stayed in that first mode and it would have sounded really nice, but the fact that it was willing to sort of juggle Paul's like ever-changing emotional state within the song and translate that uh, into the instruments, I thought was a really, really um, impactful choice. So I liked it. Yeah, I think musically, like even separate from lyrics, like, this is probably my favorite song on the album so far. I think musically it's interwoven really, really beautifully. I also think, again, I'm, I read into all, basically every single song on this that it's somehow about their lives at this point in fame and basically how they all had relationships before they really got famous and big and those relationships continued. And obviously it was like, 
they were the band that basically like made what happens on the road stays on the road like a thing like they were not great to other people in their relationships but they may still have had some type of love for them and i read into it as like how do you when your life has changed so much how do you continue to love that person the same way like how does that love change it and affect it so that's what i read into it um this is probably my favorite song on the album so far and it's not one i knew beforehand god you liked it i i like this song um I really like the uh, Paul's vocals on this track. I like his sort of jump into a bit of a scream at the end of the uh, chorus. Um, I think it, for me, it's sort of like a better You Won't See Me. Um, but I do really like this song. I, I don't have any strong feelings on it, um, but I do think it's a mark of the overall quality of the album. I think it's sort of another Paul miscommunication, maybe I don't like Jane Asher song. Um, I think it definitely has something to do with the he's clearly going through something on this that Paul is usually very, very positive and he does have positive songs of this, but there's like three or four songs of that are just all about like, we are not on the same page. So I, I think it's uh it's very interesting. We and then also, have, Oh, go, oh so go ahead. Also because Paul's not really known later on for his like deep songs, you know, like mm. he doesn't write songs about meaning, but like darkness is not his thing. Yes. Like, I think those tend to be like probably his it, lesser known or less liked app songs. I think like in my, in my head, Lennon and McCartney are pretty equal songwriters, but usually the strength is Lennon has this sort of depth of reading into his lyrics. Whereas Paul's is like his beauty. It's like, he might not be saying something super complex, but the way he's saying it is so wonderful. Whereas John Lennon might be saying something in a simple way, but it means a lot. Uh, the fourth song on the second side is, in my opinion, the best song on the album. One of the best Beatles songs ever. Uh, and one of my favorite uh, John Lennon songs is called In My Life. Um, this is what Lennon described as his first real major piece of work because it's the first time he intentionally sat down and wrote something about his own life. He has said before that he feels like all his songs end up being about himself, but this was the first time he's like, I will write a song about myself. I think it's beautiful. I'll let you guys get into it in a second, but there is a fun little um, question over authorship. Um, John Lennon said, I wrote um, pretty much everything. I, um, I wrote all the, the lyrics it's all about me and I wrote most of the music and uh, Paul just wrote the bridge uh, musically. Paul says that John wrote all the lyrics, but that he wrote the music with him 50, 50. There was like a, a data analysis project on this song. It's one of the most contentious ones. Cause Lennon is very protective of it, of it's about my life. I wrote the whole thing. Whereas Paul's like, we wrote it together and you know, who knows it's, it's a, he said, he said, so we'll never know for sure even though this data analysis says like, there's a 44% probability, blah, blah, blah. It doesn't matter. Uh, what did you guys think of it in my life? I think um, musically and specifically from a songwriting perspective, this is their one of their best, most mature and refined songs to date easily. Um, I, I just find it incredibly gorgeous and heartfelt and poignant. What like the song is actually about the way that it demonstrates a real reflection from them about where they are at this point in their careers at this point in their lives 
and um, how they sort of value the people around them, I thought was so valuable and, and poignant, especially because I, I was reading about how part of the song, especially where it talks about um, friends, some are dead and some are living is partly about Stu Sutcliffe, the former deceased um, Beatles bassist. And that lended a lot of weight to me because I almost sort of forgot about him, but I'm sure they didn't um, at this point in their careers. Um, the bridge of the little piano harpsichord thing is one of the coolest things I've ever heard in a Beatles song. I just absolutely, I, mean, I could listen to that on loop for like an hour and I don't think I'd get tired of it. Um, it's, it's a beautiful, brilliant song. It's, it's one of their best at this point in their careers. I wrote, I, I worked out as a question. I, I wondered if their reference to Dead Friends was about Stu Stuckliffe, because I was guessing that's probably, which makes sense. Also, I mean, it could, like, so like, it's like how yesterday is probably about Paul's mom in my life may be in some ways about John's mom, who also died when he was young. I think died in a fairly, like, traumatic way. Also, there was she got like, she got hit by a car, yeah. Yeah, so like very like sudden and traumatic, and probably st stayed with him, and it probably shows up like this could be a place where it shows up in his music. Like yesterday was for Paul. Um, I think what shows the fact that they've matured as songwriters is that when they say like in my life I love you more, they don't say more than what. I think in their earlier albums they would have put like more than enter I don't know object here. More than a vase of flowers. Yeah, like I think, like I think some, I think the lyrics would have been different, and a thing would have been put in that they loved you more than. But for this, they don't really make it specific, and I think it makes the song a lot better. Um, but yeah, if you want to listen, I know, I know, Ryan, you don't like Johnny Cash, but for any of the listeners, I think on Johnny Cash's last album, he has a version of this, and I think it's really, really beautiful. Only because in this, you hear people who for all they know, are in the like, very early stages of their life. Obviously, John would be killed too early or die, or pass away too early, but he didn't know that. But with Johnny Cash, it was his last album, and I think he was sick when he recorded it, or like he wasn't doing great. So it's, like a, it's just a different meaning of in my life on your last album than on your six with many more to come. I think it's a lot of great points. I agree that this song is pretty beautiful. I love the harmonies on this song. It, it Every time I listen to the song, it blows me away. Um, the, especially the Some Are Dead, Some Are Living line. Obviously a poignant line lyrically, but the harmonies, especially on that line, is so wonderful. Uh, I think lyrically, it's a really interesting song. Uh, you know, it, it's, to me, it almost feels like he's like a 25-year-old and he's writing about his life. And then he's like, oh, crap, I need to make this a song. And then he'll add, like, I love you more. And, like, it suddenly becomes a love song. I think it's a very interesting song to listen to if you know how John's life goes. Not only that he uh, is gone too soon, but everything that happens after the Beatles and his relationship with Yoko Ono, it's very point to listen to of I have all these memories and I love them, but I love you more. And, like, I'll never lose affection for these things, but I'm choosing you. Very interesting parallels between his relationship with Yoko and the Beatles and everything. Um, but musically and lyrically, I think it's absolutely wonderful. Does, does Paul ever sing this song in concert? No, I don't think so. Hmm. I just think it would just be interesting. Like, he... Like him singing it now would be an interesting thing to hear. In the '90s, and I think he probably still does some does it sometimes for Lennon's 50th birthday. He did a Lennon medley of "Help" 
uh, Strawberry Fields Forever and Give Peace a Chance. And I know he still does Give Peace a Chance, but I don't know if he does the others. Um, so uh, obviously everybody likes In My Life. Uh, then there is a, oh, the, the last thing was about In My Life. The reason he was provoked to writing and not just to write about his self, the reason he wanted to do that other than the stuff with Bob Dylan I talked about earlier John had a book. He actually had two books in the 60s when he was when, during Beatlemania of like nonsense poetry. It's basically like just like a funny book of just like funny words. That was like his humor was very abstract. And then somebody said in an interview, his, uh, he had a, a book called A Spaniard in the Works. And it was like this funny poetry book. And they were like, oh, how did you come up with this? He goes, oh, it's all just like nonsense, just funny stuff. And the guy was like, oh, is that how your lyrics are? Like, it's just nonsense stuff. John was like, no, they're not. I'm going to write about my life. Um, so just kind of a funny little tidbit. We then have Wait, uh, a Lennon composition. I really like this song. It's a nice up-tempo kickoff from In My Life. Um, it's one of the only songs in the album, as people pointed out, that uh, kind of goes to like an original Beatles theme of love and a relationship. But it's got a very frantic pace and lyrical tone. And I really like it, and I want to know how you guys feel. I, I was not as big of a fan of it as you, I can say that. Um, I think, yeah, I think I like the song. It's probably my least favorite song on the album, honestly. But I think it get, it's not a bad song. I think it gets better for me at the end. But it just seems, in this song, lyrically, it seems to be about them acknowledging their bad behavior. Like, I said, like, the Beatles like basically like invented what happens on the road stays on the road. And it seems to be a song explicitly about that and being this like, Hey, oops, sorry. Like we were bad. It's like, I don't know. It's just, that's not my favorite. Uh, yeah, I liked it. I would agree that it was probably a lesser song in the album for me, but I, I definitely, I, I read that it was basically first recorded during the health era and then left off of that album, which I thought made sense to me because I feel like it has some of that album's um, willingness to sort of venture into the territory of like, what's it like to be in my position and what's the perspective that I could have being on tour and talking to the people that I care about who aren't with me on tour. So I felt like that carried on to this album, but I also think that musically it's a little, it does a little, less detailed than I think the rest of the album. Maybe just because it's not as heavy with the instruments. Um, like there's some nice tambourine and guitar in there. But um, yeah, I don't think it feels as grounded as the rest of the album, but I still like it as is. It still carries that sort of perspective of, of fame that I think works for the concept album as you see it. Uh, I think it's a good song. I like it, but I agree with you guys that um, it, it is a bit of a, we're getting towards the end and it, it does feel it's basically intended as like, uh, oh, we need a song. Let's do one we had. Uh, it was like we need one more song for the track list. Let's do one we did for help. But I do like it. Uh, I do think that there's a fun little middle eight that McCartney wrote that he sings. It's nice to hear him in on a Lennon song. Uh, I just like the up tempo beat of it. But uh, I, I agree that it's not anything world shaking. Uh, only a few left to go. Uh, the last or second to last song is If I Needed Someone, our, our second George Harrison song. Kind of a cool, uh, as I was saying earlier, cool interpretation of this is George's very interesting take on the world, very distinct philosophies and uh, I want to say like style of thinking. If I Needed Someone, I love the song. 
the lyrics are very interesting. It's like, I, I'll be with you, but like, I guess, and it feels like half hearted, but also like, it, it's almost like the person is sort of off doing something else in their head, which to me feels very George to be like, yeah, yeah, I love you. I'm thinking about something else. Um, I don't know if that's how you guys feel, but I think it's got a really interesting mood and I really like it. And musically, I think it sounds awesome. I really, really like this song. What did you guys think? Yeah, I think I paid attention more to the music on this song. I saw like great harmonies, also a great guitar opening, which is very cool. I think this song, this album for nothing else should be noted for its really great song openings. Um, and like, this is an almost nothing comment, but they just can get so many words out in one breath. And it's just very impressive. Like this is the second time I noticed that. But yeah, I honestly couldn't tell what the song was about. So I didn't write too many notes on it. I don't know if Tyler could figure it out. Um, I think I'm, I'm less of a scholar in terms of grand interpretation of a song and more an appreciator of the, of the minute details and how they form a, a larger picture. So for me, um, I, I liked it musically. I think that this is one of the more quote unquote like psychedelic sounding of the album, which I always appreciate. Um, and I think it gives a great sort of foreshadowing for the development of, of George's musical stylings and how he would use guitar, especially in a lot of his songs. Um, the melody was really nice. I also, this is a little detail, but I, I really like how naturally it incorporated uh, the chorus into the song to the point where it just felt like every chorus was the end of a, of a sentence. So it just naturally slid into it where he was like carve your number on the wall and maybe you will get a call from me if i needed someone so it just feels it just the whole song flows together in a way that it almost feels a bit conversational uh, uh which i think was very successful for george so i think it's a solid song i really like the song um you get a lot of uh good uh music in there and i think i really enjoy as i've said before george's lyrics in the sense that to me, I think it's funny. It's like sort of an ambivalent love song. He's like, maybe you'll get a call from me. If I had more time, I guess I'd spend it with you. Like, it's an interesting um, perspective that I think is very George. It just seems that almost all of the love songs on, on this are like, man, the guys in it are really awful to the women. Like, they're just really not good people. It, really it, it's interesting. I think a lot of this, to me, sounds like bitter 20-year-olds. Like, in a lot of the earlier albums, you get a lot of, I love you, everything's great. But I think in this album, first, uh, sorry, <laughs> I'll, I'll restart that. But um, in this album, more than any other, you kind of get like, maybe the Beatles have gone through their first like big breakups at this point because they're like, hey, whatever, I, I screw you. Like that's sort of like the vibe, I think more on songs than uh, some other songs that we've heard before. That's why I think it's the thing I said before, they're adults before they should have been, but they're less mature than they should be. Right. Um, but I like the song, and it sounds like you guys enjoyed the music. Uh, we have our last song in the album, which is just sort of, just sort of a weird one. It's called "Run for Your Life." Um, scary title and kind of a scary song. John Lennon would later call it misogynistic, which is kind of weird that he's calling anything misogynistic. Anyways, um, it's a, it's. He said it was sort of like an Elvis not parody, but like a pastiche. He's like, I heard some Elvis songs and I wanted to write a song like that. 
And I, I won't talk too much about it because I assume you guys have opinions on Run For Your Life. Uh, yeah, this song like immediately unsettled me. Uh, <laughs> listening to the opening line, like literally like made my eyes wide. I was like, is this a real song? This isn't like an outtake or whatever. Um, musically, I, I liked the guitar playing and the melody was nice, but this is like that meme I sent of like, the Beatles song that's like, it's okay to leave a dog in a hot car, except it's like a real song. So, um, you know, I think it's very Ted Bundy core and I don't know why they made it, but it, it's, I like it musically. This is pre Bundy. This is, this is pre Bundy. So maybe he's probably, it's, he's probably like that because of this song. So. <laughs> I don't think we should say that, but my first note was, I don't like the lyrics. Um, I think yeah, like Tyson musically, it was cool. But it's like it's a song about an abusive male partner. And it's it's just weird. Like the music did not match to the lyrics, which is, I don't know, I like when that happens. But yeah, the lyrics were, man, the lyrics sure were something. They were. Yeah, we, we're dancing around. If you haven't heard the song, it starts off, I'd rather see you dead, little girl, than to be with another man. And it doesn't oh, let up from there. So I wrote down little. Oh, no, no. I thought. Okay, I thought the words Little Girl was a different song from my notes, but that's because I took bad notes. Yeah, I don't like any song that uses the word Little Girl. Like, I thought that was a totally separate song, but no, that's just... Yeah, you know, as Harrison often, and it's like, said before, hates when that happens. Um, it's a weird song to end on. It's To me, I think it's probably the weakest song on the album, and it's pretty strange. And it just leaves a, you listen to this beautiful, wonderful album for like 12 songs. And then you're like, huh? And just, that's how it ends. I just feel like you easily could have replaced it with We Can Work It Out or Day Tripper. Like right. those, would, those would be so much more or, fitting. Or it's sort of like what we talked last week with yet with uh, Help in a much different sense that this, the album ends with Dizzy Miss Lizzie which was like, you just had Yesterday, which we all thought would have been a great closer, but at least Dizzy Miss Lizzie was a good song, and like a, it, it was like a fun closer. This is feels really weird, especially when you had In My Life only a few songs ago. Um, it feels like there could be like a poignant... And this album, it opens with Drive My Car, and it kind of progresses back and forth, but slowly into more introspection. It feels like it would have had a great song to end on like an in my life or even like a uh i'm looking through you or something like that it's just an odd song in the whole it's, beatles catalog like you know how on beatles albums you're like oh you can tell they were like let's give ringo a song or like let's let george do a thing this was like if there's like a fifth really scummy beetle named like jeffrey who they like hide away and he's like can i put my song on it's really creepy they're like okay this is definitely actually my least favorite song i forget what i said was my least favorite one before but this is it's just no it's just wrong it's really weird it's really off-putting and i hope it does it leaves a bad taste in your mouth but hopefully it doesn't affect the the rest of the album so Rubber Soul as a whole, uh, it's their sixth album, as I like to put it, the first five are early Beatles, then we've got these next three as the classic, and then the late Beatles. So as our first entry into the classic Beatles, I think we all can agree Rubber Soul is a pretty good album. I'd like to hear your overall thoughts on it, a quick short review with a bit of a score or a rating or anything to sum up how you feel. Uh, maybe where it ranks for you so far in the Beatles uh, discography and anything else you want to add. 
best album so far. I'm going to give it a 94 on my grading grading sheet. I just think, because I took this as, I know this isn't a concept album. I know they're just like, let's put 14 songs on and see what happens. Like, it's not, like, it's not like as what other people will do later, um, which is probably why Run For Your Life is the last song on it, when it really should not be on it, or at least not the last song. But I think most of the album is really just a very interesting look at what I think is a look at fame and how it's affecting their lives. And it's the most mature songs they've had. It's just all very impressive on all accounts, lyrics, music, vocally. So 94, best album so far. Yeah, uh, I'm going to have to leave in a minute. But um, I would say overall, I would like a strong B plus boarding on an A minus. I think that this is definitely one of their strongest so far from both a songwriting perspective and a musical perspective. Um, it's just they're willing to experiment with a lot more, but also in a way that still feels coherent for the most part. Um, the songs feel a lot more personal and introspective, while at the same time, um, there's a little bit more of a willingness to play with abstract ideas, which I appreciate. So I think it's definitely a step up for them. Yeah, um, I think this is this is one of my favorite Beatles albums ever. It's um, it's I think their best album so far. I don't have to say how much I like it. I just think every song in this album, even Run For Your Life, has a lot of fun in it. It's got a lot of uh, new style and maturity. Um, I would give it an A+. Uh, I really, really like this album. Um, I'll wrap it up quick. Um, we are going to get out of here, but you have a homework assignment before you go. Next week, we are going to listen to what some people and by some people, I mean a lot of very well-respected music critics believe is the greatest album of all time. This is the Beatles' Revolver, and we'll be listening to it next week. I am so excited. It, I think, is like a nice sequel to Rubber Soul, and in my opinion, is up there for maybe best Beatles album ever. Uh, you also have two singles to listen to, an A-side and a B-side, a paperback writer, and Rain, two great songs, I think, to add to a great album. Um, this has been Radio Ringo, Three Ringos, presented by Radio Ryan, Wheaton College Network, WCCS Podcast. Join us next time for Revolver. This has been Ringo Rubber Soul, Rubber Ringo, Ringo Soul, Three Ringos Forever. Goodbye.